hello and thanks for joining episode six of the year. We're now halfway through the journey because, as you may know, this podcast is 12 stories about 12 individuals from 12 months that changed the world. We are dealing with the 12 months immediately after World War I, when empires that had stood for hundreds of years were torn apart, new countries emerged, even whole new political systems emerged. And this month, we have a story about the country of Romania. Romania had a remarkable queen back in 1914, and she was actually from Scotland. And when I found out about this and about the fact that she ended up earning the title of the Soldier Queen, I wanted to find out more. And I'm very pleased that my good friend Ice-T de Jourte has travelled a long way across Europe to come and be my guest reader this week. My name is Ice-T de Jourte and I'm gonna read March 1919, The Soldier Queen. The stone often recoils on the head of the thrower, Elizabeth I. At first she had thought her life was over. She was married to a man she detested, a man who was destined to be king and she his queen. Sovereigns in a land far removed from every one of her friends and every member of her family. As soon as she arrived at her new home, which was about as far from Scotland as it was possible to get in Europe, she fantasized about slipping away. But that was not so easy for an 18-year-old princess with whole coterie of hangers-on that had been attached to her since her arrival, and divorce was not even close to being an option. She railed against the unfairness of it all. Princess Marie of Edinburgh was considered one of the most beautiful and elegant young ladies in the royal circles of Europe. Granddaughter to both Queen Victoria and the Empress of Russia, her pedigree was impeccable. While she was someone who cared about the past, it was hard not to be in her family. She was a young woman determined to live every moment of the present and carve out a future for herself. With the two greatest female monarchs of modern times for grandmothers, she was only too aware of how poorly she was likely to measure up in this Balkans backwater. An early mutual dislike between her and her husband quickly blossomed into utter loathing. He openly had affairs, and after the initial shock, she replied in kind, if a little more discreetly. When her uncle by marriage, the childless King Carol of Romania, got wind that she was cuckolding his nephew, he flew into such an apoplectic rage that Marie worried he might die there and then on the spot in front of her and accelerate her eyes to the throne. Marie was more concerned for his health than she was intimidated by his wrath. As soon as he had spent his rage, she told him that if he ever spoke to her like that again, she would reveal to the nation that her firstborn, who was second in line to the Romanian throne after her husband, was in fact not sighed by her useless husband. King Carol's desire for the continuity of his crown and fear of scandal outweighed his desire to control the way with Marie, and after this encounter, he adopted a policy similar to that of his nephew, of leaving her to her own devices. After a shaky start, Beset with homesickness, domestic turf wars and disappointment, 
Marie had rather taken to her new country, Romania. Brought up a Protestant in the tight confines of British royal circles, Romania was surprisingly libertine by comparison. It provided her with the space and freedom to grow into herself. The Romanian gentry were obsessed with looks, with clothes, with intrigue. And so the beautiful and impeccably stylish Marie found herself quite naturally becoming a shining star in this world. Marie, however, was not all about clothes and carnal intrigue. This was simply a smokescreen, a diversionary tactic. After all, with grandmothers like hers, Mary had a lot to live up to. Romania wasn't an empire, but she intended to make the most of what she had. Her husband was entirely helpful in this process. No one could have ever accused Ferdinand of having a strong personality, and while he wanted to appear to do his duty and was genuinely loyal to Romania despite his German birth and upbringing, he was more than happy to let his wife wear the trousers. So when his uncle died and Ferdinand became king in 1914, it was but a name. And it was his queen who became both the power on and behind the throne. It was her strong lobbying that led to Romania joining the Allied cause in August 1916, but only after she had pushed Romanian's prime minister to get the Allies to promise huge parts of Austria-Hungary, including much of Transylvania and the entire Banat region, which was populated by a menagerie of races, with the largest contingent being Serbs, not Romanians. Queen Marie was very much inclined to expand her little empire if she could. At the beginning of their spirited campaign, it looked like Marie may well get her wish. As the Romanian troops advanced into Austro-Hungarian lands and pushed into Bulgaria. Alarmed by this success, the German military took command and with each month that passed, the Romanians found themselves fighting the better trained and better armed Germans led by men with superior tactical training and experience. The Romanian army was first pushed back within its borders and then pushed over the edges of its borders into Moldova. In the unfolding crisis, Queen Marie stepped up and rallied the troops and even partook in the military planning, which it was rumored she had some knack for. And so the myth of the soldier queen was born. But queen of what? Romania, often depicted as plucky in English newspapers, had valiantly held out from complete capitulation until the Russians forced their hand. Once their giant allies sued for peace in November 1917, there was nothing left for Romania to do other than serve her head up on a plateau for the, by the desperate Germans to pick over. In the 10 months from Romanian surrender to the armistice of the 11th November 1918, Germany extracted over a million tons of Romanian oil and bundled up two million tons of Romanian wheat to fling, along with another half a million German lives at the Western Front in a final futile stab at victory. The war ending was for Queen Marie just the start of her campaign for her country. For in peace she wanted to achieve what they had not managed militarily, the enlargement of Romania. She had no intention of going with Prime Minister Bretiano to Paris at the outset of the conference to negotiate over the scraps of the Balkans. No. From the start she saw herself as the big guns strategically held in reserve. Bretiano would scrap it out on the front line 
and when both sides were exhausted, she would swoop in all guns blazing. After all, it was a strategy that had worked for the Americans. Well, today was the eve of her departure. The trip had been months in the planning, but in the media it would be portrayed as a spontaneous decision. Queen Marie, being so moved by the plight of her country that she couldn't be held back from travelling across Europe to beseech the important men about the fate of her beautiful country. Her send-off in Bucharest was regal. As usual, her beloved public turned out in force to see her off at the station. Her husband, the king, didn't show. But that was no loss. They didn't really need him. She had learned long ago as a passionate woman in her late teens, that she certainly didn't. What was more gratifying than her send-off was her Parisian reception. The heady days of the armistice were over, the initial glamour of having presidents and prime ministers in town had worn off, sullied as those men now were by the mud-slinging of daily politics. What Paris needed was a bit of old-fashioned royal razzmatazz, and who better to provide it at the Paris Peace Conference than the soldier queen? The talk of the town was, what would she be wearing? Queen Marie had been rather impressed by a certain young English officer, T.E. Lawrence, some illegitimate son of a minor aristocrat, who'd somehow managed to become a worldwide celebrity, looking ever so exotic and dashing in the traditional dress of an Arab. His boyish blonde looks contrasting with the otherness of his clothes. If it worked for Lawrence of Arabia, then why not for her? The crowd buzzed with expectation. The train had been in the station 20 minutes, all eyes on the only door remaining open. Queen Marie emerged from within and stood there framed by the door. The light streaming through the glass roof of the garden Nord set her black satin dress gleaming. The queen's outfit combined the elegance of a coronation, the exoticism of the East, and the merest scandalous hint of the harem. There were gasps from the crowd at the sight of her. She was iridescent. Isolated cries of beautiful rang out, and then the whole crowd erupted into wild cheering. This rapture contrasted with President Wilson's meek return from Washington a few weeks before. The deafening roar of applause he had received on his first entrance into Paris in December. Cheering crowds had stood shoulder to shoulder all the way from the Atlantic coast to the centre of Paris. It was a distant memory. Four months on, returning from a dressing down by his domestic opponents in America, the fatigued figure of Wilson was barely noticed by a motley collection of whomsoever happened to be in the station at the time. They merely stopped for the briefest of moments at the curiosity of the so recently godlike figure of the President of America passing through. The President's men, who hadn't thought to try and create an atmosphere for his return, were all fretting about Queen Marie's red carpet arrangements at the Garden Ort and fighting over which of them would get to greet Her Majesty at the station. Until their boss got wind of this and instructed Colonel House to tell them that no United States dignitary would be in attendance at the station. Queen Marie had ruffled the feathers of the American Eagle even before she had met him. Queen Marie's entourage had swept into the Ritz prior to her arrival. 
the management had happily turfed out the guests from all the top suites to accommodate the Queen's need for 21 rooms. At hotel's entrance, porters manning the ropes struggled to keep back the throng of fans and well-wishers as Queen Marie pulled up. The mob around Queen Marie's car was such that the crowd actually managed to lift it off the ground. The hotel porters struggled to create a space for her entrance. A giant cheer erupted as she stepped out of her Rolls Royce, happily pausing to allow the crowd to take her in. Much to the chagrin of the red-faced puffing porters, scrummaging the crowd. Yes, thought Queen Marie of Romania to herself, as she surveyed the crowd. She was going to enjoy her spring visit to Paris this year. She would enjoy it very much. Queen Marie had thought it prudent to first go to London, to lobby her cousin George and line up her dogs there, rather than a direct assault on Paris. For starters, she wasn't sure about Lloyd George. After all, he was a Welshman from humble origins and had, until the war, the reputation of a firebrand radical. So maybe he wasn't so impressed by royal splendor. However, she was reassured by her cousin that Lloyd George was a dreadful old goat. So she figured that he would, of course, be susceptible to her wiles. But before seeking out the Welsh goat, it was necessary to first placate the French tiger, Clemenceau. Romania was considered by France a Latin island in a sea of Slavs. And culturally and politically, the two nations were very close. Even so, it appeared that her prime minister had caused the old tiger to growl and expose his fangs. So it was her job to smooth down the hackles of his white mane. Marie's reception boded well. The Romanian national anthem played, and the 77-year-old French prime minister skipped down the stairs to greet her. But while he was effusive with praise for her beauty, and as flirtatious as you would expect a Frenchman to be, he bridled when she veered away from gossiping about her shopping exploits and got down to the brass tacks of the boundaries of her country. She regaled the tiger about how she had personally rallied their troops to fight to the last man. And as a Frenchman of honor, wouldn't he feel a cat if he went back on the treaty his government signed three years ago, which was the basis on which Romania entered the war and had sacrificed a greater number, proportionally, of their young men than even France? Did he not appreciate that she had persuaded King Ferdinand, German born and bred, to side with France? She could see that Clemenceau was softening. And after he scolded her for asking for the lion's share of the bannet, and she quicked back, this is just why I came to see his first cousin, the tiger. The severe expression on the old man's face melted into deep laughter. After that, he was broken, putty in her hands. She had tamed the tiger. Lord George was a bit more mercurial. He was indeed interested to hear her enthusiasm for the pink silk chemise that she had bought that day in Paris, and his eyes devoured her, but he kept a slight distance that she decided it would appear too desperate to try and cross. In any case, his aristocratic foreign secretary was fully charmed and delighted by her, and she knew that she could lobby hard through him. It was obvious, Lord George felt that he had bigger fish to fry than Romania. Therefore, he would let his foreign secretary, Lord Balfour, lead on this one. 
As she was leaving, she asked Balfour's advice on how to deal with Wilson. What shall I talk to him about? His League of Nations or my pink chemise? He's no Lloyd George, ma'am. Start with his League of Nations and finish with your pink chemise. 24 hours later, as the Wilsons were exiting her suite, Queen Maria was silently cursing Balfour even as she waved goodbye. She should have started with his League of Nations and ended with his League of Nations. There was no place for sexuality, seduction or flirtation at marble monstrosity. He had less humour in him than a Presbyterian minister from the Outer Hebrides and the same for his sour-faced wife. And as for the blushing admiral they had in tow, he looked like he'd never seen a cleavage before. On reflection, she chided herself. She should have known. After all, her country of birth, Scotland, had seen some of the most extreme religious nutters they had into American soil. And this was the result. What a disappointment. The man who was probably now the most powerful man in God's world, and he had the virility of a kipper. She was glad that there was life in the old world yet. Before she left, she had one more crack at Wilson. She arrived 35 minutes late for their luncheon appointment, which was rather on the punctual side for the Queen. But President Wilson was cold as ice, obviously seeing it as a slight. She went away from that meeting realising it wasn't because he was a Puritan. It was actually because he was jealous. He was meant to be a Democrat, and what he really wanted was the pomp and the ceremony of royalty to be swirling around him, not her. She realized, in this instance, that her charm was not enough. After the final round of the Paris shops and salons, and the last night at the opera, Queen Marie met with her Prime Minister. I think we need to force the issue, Bretiano, don't you? And with that, she swept out of Paris as dramatically as she entered, the cheering crowds, and sensibly before the shine of her royalty could be faded by the down and dirty of the Paris political fray. Afterward, immediately after Queen Marie's visit to Paris, the Romanian army looked for a de facto solution to the intonable diplomatic wranglings in Paris and marched deep into Hungary and into the Banat region. In the course of the next six months, the English, French and Italians, who as they had their own secret treaties, were supporting Romania's secret treaties being upheld to further the case for the upholding of their own, wore down Wilson and he agreed to the boundaries that greatly enlarged Romania and placed large numbers of Germans, Hungarians and Serbs under Romanian rule. The expanded border proved to be a poison chalice for Romania, whose Slavic neighbours smarted through the interwar years at the loss of their territory and immediately carved up Romania between them at the start of World War II, leaving Romania with less territory than it had when they had signed the secret treaties with France and Great Britain in August 1916. Ice tea. You. Thank you for coming to Poland. Thank you for inviting me here. So, and thank you very much for travelling all the way from London to Poland uh, to, to come oh. and do this. You're a very famous Lithuanian actress and I know uh, that you've just started to look into doing English language productions. 
And when I heard that, I thought I had to invite you to come and get you to read one of my stories. And I decided that you should do the Soldier Queen, because I know that you're a strong lady who very much wants to stick up for women's role in the world. Um, so what did you think about the story uh, of the Soldier Queen, the Queen of Queen Maria of Romania? Oh, first of all, thank you for trusting me to read that. And I was so impressed by the story. I've never heard it in my life. I'm very familiar with history and I'm really interested in that, but I've never heard it in my life. And I was very, very impressed by the way she dealt with things and I hope that everybody would be very interested to hear that. I understand that uh, you're going to be playing a role where you're also playing a soldier queen? Yes, exactly. Oh, I played already. Oh, it's finished? Yes, it's finished. We wrapped. Um, what's it called? <laughs> Uh, the Pagan King. And you play a Viking warrior. Yeah, I played the lead female role and she was the queen of Semigalia. Okay, and so did you have to like learn how to sword fight and... Oh yes, oh yes, all the best things in the world. How to throw a knife, how to ride a horse, how to fight and so on. And so this film is going to be coming out uh, this year, so if, if people who are listening want to see it, then they should watch out for The Pagan King coming out sometime later in the year, yeah? Yeah. Good. Well, thank you very much for coming and being my first guest reader. Um, it was a wonderful uh, day that we've spent together. Um, we can now uh, sign off and go and uh, have a vodka <laughs> to celebrate <laughs> Poland, Lithuanian, <laughs> British... Commonwealth. Yay! <laughs>